0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please moving. please moving. play oh, the you're not oh, see i got to this made a mistake. I think I'm
1: bang on there. And they are. Okay, gentlemen, play ball! Watch your hair! Good
0: checking, guys! good play! So, Josh, my friend, you kind of lit up Twitter last week with the Panthers Canucks game that took place in Sunrise, Florida. And there were a few video review chuckles on the Scouting the Refs. Twitter feed about rapper Kodak Black at the game and the interpretation of the um, how do we say hitting from behind rule?
1: Yeah, I, I think we we needed to look at that play in the context of the rule book when it comes to hitting from behind, illegal stick work, you know those those types of contact. We really needed to evaluate it that way because I mean it it was at an NHL game and of course let's take player safety's perspective and figure out what exactly happened there. It did need a review
0: it was reviewed over and over and <laughs> over again with some very literal interpretations of the rule i would say
1: yes yeah, some, uh, some some interesting applications you know i'm i'm proud of of hockey twitter there for not only attacking that situation with some great comedy but with some very liberal rule applications it it made for some fun lively discussion not as much lively activity as was going on in that luxury box but some <laughs> lively activity nonetheless <laughs>
0: Yep. Not all the action was on the ice at that particular Panthers game. That is for sure. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS for your order. You'll receive 20% off and you'll receive free shipping as well. We are now into the middle of January and you can't help but start hearing about the next big gift-giving event and that of course is going to be Valentine's Day it'll be here before you know it whether you think it's a real made-up thing or not it's a, it's a big deal for many and you do not want to mess it up. So why not keep the mess tidy and under control? Of course you've already discovered the lawnmower 4.0. It's amazing and simple. Perhaps you've scoped out the website, seen some of the other products as well, and you thought, you know, there's somebody who could really use this. In fact, you should consider going the full Monty and give the ultimate package. You can't go wrong. Manscaped products, super safe, versatile. They work beautifully. And hey, you never know, you might have one of those impromptu moments such as Kodak Black did in Florida. And you know what? You don't want to have that feeling of regret afterwards of, oh, you know, I really should have tidied things up a little bit with the lawnmower down there. That's, that would be the worst part of that experience. Don't you think, Josh?
1: Absolutely. You want to be ready to go. You want to be in game shape when you get called up for some action and and you don't want to be waiting there thinking, boy, I, I missed my opportunity here. So I, I think Manscaped really gives you the tools to just be ready to go at a moment's notice. It's either the coach calls you up or you're on the taxi squad and you're ready to jump in for some action. Let Manscaped make sure that you are in the best game shape for that.
0: The full Manscaped product line makes great gifts for Valentine's Day. Please make sure that you're following us on our social media channels as well for great Twitter commentary. Josh had at scouting the refs on Twitter and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports for being on Twitter and Instagram as well. And don't forget, go to manscaped.com, use the code refs and get 20% off and free delivery. On this week's episode, who gets credit for the goal? The rare double review. How many guys are we supposed to have on the ice? Maybe we'll revisit the Kodak moment again in Florida. And headbutts, and I do want to talk about the C word. Are you intrigued? I'm, I'm very. I'm, I'm not sure which word that is, but I'd, I'd like to know more. The word will be consistency. and We <sighs> will get to that a little bit later on. Okay. Uh, suspension of the week. It uh, seems like we have one of these just about every week. Ross Johnson of the New York Islanders, his check made significant contact to the head of New Jersey's A.J. Green. You know, when I first looked at this, the first couple of angles, I wasn't really sure about the ruling, but then there was another angle that kind of looks straight up the boards towards the hit, and you see... There was significant head contact. Johnston sits for three, and that's pretty much in line with how DOP operates.
1: Yep, I think so. I think it was the right call, the right situation. It's it's a dangerous hit, and that one angle right up the glass really showed the impact there. I was surprised that we didn't see a call on the ice. I know every situation's different, and it depends on perspective, but this is one of those times where I, I don't want officials to call the game differently, and I know the NHL doesn't want them to do that either, but we've got review in place. We've got a penalty review when you call a major penalty and you can either confirm that major penalty or you can downgrade it to a minor. And I think this is one of those situations that I I wish they could review other than when they call the major, because I think if they had a second look at this one, they may have come up and really hit that major penalty on the ice there, which it, it looked like was deserved. But again can't fault the officials calling the game in real time with positioning sight lines and everything else but I think a second review on the ice I, I, I wouldn't be against that in situations where hey you know what maybe this should have been a major but since they didn't call it they don't get to take that second look
0: is the thinking perhaps that we want our referees to punish severely and they can always take a step back so always call the major and is, I guess is what I'm saying and then you can take a step back because it was clear this is at the minimum this is a penalty. But if you call the major always, then you can always take the step back if needed.
1: I think it could be an approach, and I think it's, it's one way to start letting replay creep in. But it's something that, from what I understand, the NHL has not wanted the officials to run the game via replay. And that means situations mm-hmm. like this, if you're not – call it like you see it. Pretend there's no replay. If you're not sure it's a major and you would call this as a minor or you would say there's no call, that's your call – Don't call and officiate via replay. And same thing for offsides. If you're a linesman and you're not sure, you need to make that call. You need to call what you see on the ice, not say, hey, I'm not sure. Let's catch it in replay. And that's something that I've heard that the the league is sticking to is that they don't want the officials to officiate via replay. They want to call it as they see it on the ice. And, And sometimes you'll get it right. Sometimes you'll get it wrong. But to not rely on replay to get it right every time.
0: We also had a couple of kicked in goals over the last week, and I'm wondering if this opens the door for a larger discussion because we seem to have these on a fairly regular basis as well. And you reminded me just before we started that there is a Western League that has allowed kicked goals for some time, and it seems to be moving along without too much difficulty.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem to be any issue there. We haven't seen players aggressively kicking to the point where they're endangering their opponents or even their teammates. So the WHL's rule is that kicked in goals are allowed, provided the kick takes place outside of the goal crease. And it's it's not how the NHL rule is currently written. A kicked goal is not allowed. But I, I should say, Todd, they've expanded what is allowed in the National Hockey League. There's still that criteria for a distinct kicking motion. But deflecting or even directing the puck with your skate including intentionally turning your skate to position it so that the puck goes in that's all legal now it's just that distinct kicking motion that the dub allows and the NHL does not
0: no wind up is allowed in the NHL it, is right so
1: wind up and follow through that seem to be the red flags from the NHL standpoint when they're looking at whether the puck was propelled you know was it the momentum of the puck hitting the skate and it just carried in that's always been legal. When you're starting to push it with your skate, well, sometimes, but when you've got that big wind-up follow-through, when you're doing a, a Pele soccer shot or you're really driving a field goal between the goalposts up there, <laughs> those types of kicking motions are almost always, or I will say always, disallowed.
0: The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings available for you at manscaped.com by using the code REFS for your order. You receive 20% off and you get free shipping. So we had a bit of a weird one that I wanted to look into as well. Last weekend, the Caps pulled the goaltender for an extra attacker on a delayed penalty in their game versus Minnesota. Carl Haglund circled out from the corner, set a pass out to the blue line, That went right between the two defenders down the ice and into the Caps net. Marcus Foligno got credit for the goal and it made it 2-1 Caps. Washington actually wound up losing the game in the shootout too. So what got me thinking about this is I was hearing a couple of broadcasters on another broadcast the next night talk about the play and who gets credit for the goal. And one speculated that, oh, isn't it the player closest to the shooter who gets credit for the goal? It's and not. And I, I don't
1: believe that's correct. You are correct, Todd. It's not. It's not who's closest to the shooter. It's, it's the player who last touched the puck. So we've got that under Rule 78-4. If you've got a defending player who puts the puck into their own net... The guy who last touched the puck from the attacking side will get credit for the goal. And it's just credit for the goal. There's no assist being given. So that's the only way it works. It's not the closest man. It, that would be an interesting take on it. I, I think in in most situations, we know when there's guys close to the puck or or if they're around the crease, sometimes it's hard to tell who might have scored the goal. But no, when you've got a guy putting the puck in his own net, it's whoever touched it last. And... Sometimes that's that tends to be the goalie as well. So had that rule been different, we would have been shorted quite a few goalie goals over the years.
0: Yes. And so I guess Hagelin was both a plus one and a minus one on that play. Is that what you're saying?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, Carl, you get the minus for this one. It's a it's it's a really painful one to get to, especially in a one goal
0: loss. As we move on, the Montreal Canadiens dismal season continues. It's been memorable for all the wrong reasons. First, during a game. Uh, against the Bruins, as is often the case between the Habs and the Bruins, emotions get a little hot. They did in this game during one of the many scrums. Montreal defenseman Chris Weidman became frustrated with Boston forward Eric Howla, grabs him. And just like the 1980s New Wave song by John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett, Weidman gave him headbutts. Wow. <laughs> that is a song, by the way. I looked it up. One sideways headbutt, but it actually caught him, and I thought, uh-oh, that's not good. He got two for roughing. He got two for unsportsmanlike conduct, and I think was very quickly also suspended by the Department of Player Safety for one more game. It, I, is this appropriate? Could it have been more? Should it have been more? I, I think it could
1: have. It's it's definitely a situation that's covered in the rule book. I was glad to see that we did have a one-game suspension. I know it wasn't a significant play there wasn't a lot of danger to it it was a relatively mild headbutt as far as headbutts go however it's, it's the kind of action that we don't want to see in the nhl so one game suspension at a minimum i think seems appropriate there was no hockey value there was nothing good that was coming out of this the on-ice officials though i think did a, a bit of a favor to weidman there by going with the roughing call instead of the headbutt now whether whether they weren't sure if it was intentional whether they saw just the players jostling and weren't entirely clear on the motivation, headbutting. Should result in a double minor penalty if you attempt. And a major penalty with a game misconduct if you make contact. So you're looking at a guy getting tossed for the game for connecting on a headbutt. It it upgrades to a match if they're injured. So in this situation, we would be looking at Weidman getting tossed for the game. Didn't happen here. Just a roughing minor, which I know the, the degree, the severity was not significant. But still, if you want to call it by the book... Intentional contact with the head, and, and that's where I think the officials may have been unclear on whether or not it was intentional, hence the roughing call, and not the major in a game for the headbutt.
0: Just as an aside here, I, uh, finally Hockey Night in Canada got around to discussing that there is a signal for the referees for fighting, and Wes McCauley has been brilliant. He, among others, have been brilliant in using it for some time now. Is there a signal for headbutts for the referee? Actually, there is not, which is a shame, Todd, because
1: we've got so many signals in the rule book. We've got we've got signs for everything else, it seems. And uh, headbutting would be a particularly entertaining one if there were.
0: Well, this is what I'm thinking. We're trying to get more personality into the game. This is not something that's going to come up very often. But I'm I'm all in for the referee signaling this one. I, I would love
1: to see. I'd actually love to see some suggestions on what the signal should be for a headbutting. <laughs> I think we need to fire up some video requests on Twitter and, and have folks give us their, their best headbutt signal. What, what should the signal be? And then we'll get it on to Wes, because if anybody's going to try it out in a game, it's Macaulay.
0: That John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett song is going to be making a comeback, I'm thinking, on this one.
1: <laughs> i got to check it out.
0: Things did not get better for Montreal the next night in Chicago. The Canadians and Hawks played 60 minutes. They were tied at two. Halfway through the overtime, the Hawks scored to seemingly claim the victory, but not so fast. A few things to digest. As Chicago's Philip Kershev is shooting the puck into the net, Montreal's Mike Hoffman is pushing slash defending and shoves Kershev into goaltender Samuel Montembeau, knocks the net off its pegs before the puck goes in. So the situation room has to review, and they decided that the goal does count because the puck went in before the net came dislodged. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. And, and thanks for breaking it down that way, Todd. When we have situations that are this complex, you really need to break down the order of operations. And the first thing was, did the puck legally enter the net? So that was, is the net off? Is, is it propelled in legally? Was it kicked? Was it pushed with a stick? That's a league initiated review. That would have happened, whether it was in overtime, whether it was any other point in the game. The first thing the league does is check to see if it was a legal goal so based on the position of the goalposts based on what caused the net to come displaced they felt that it it was a legal goal and it was a situation where the defending player was responsible for displacing the net so puck was already in motion crossed between the normal position of the
0: goalposts would result in a goal the double indemnity part of this if you will is there was also a question as to whether or not the play was offside. So after we had the puck enter the net legally, review we had the double review for the offside. I don't recall seeing this before. No, and it, and it was crazy, right? Because the
1: first review actually resulted in an awarded goal. So now we're we've got an awarded goal that we're reviewing to see if the play was offside prior to it being awarded. And to me, the offside review was the trickier part of this situation. You know, it, it seemed pretty clear what happened on the contact in the crease, but looking. At the play, as they entered the zone, it was a tough one because we had Kurashev entering and crossing the blue line ahead of the puck. So, of course, fans are losing their mind. This is one of those situations where you can precede the puck into the attacking zone, provided you have possession and control prior to entering the zone. Where the problem was, or where the challenge was for the NHL situation room, is that that pass arrived on Kurashev's stick almost instantaneously with when he crossed the blue line. So it was, a, it was a real close call here. Very, very tight situation. And I think one thing that's worth noting, Todd, is, is possession and control are big points of consternation for fans. Possession is when you've touched the puck. So we're not going to challenge that part. Control seems to be the bigger part where he received the puck. And how do you determine whether he had control? It had it just contacted his stick. You know, he wasn't stick handling beforehand. He wasn't carrying the puck. In these situations, the league... And I haven't spoken to the situation about how they break it down, but based on context from similar decisions in the past, they look at where the puck goes next. Does he maintain possession of the puck? Does the puck hit Khrushchev's stick and deflect wildly into the corner? Or is he able to control it to the point where he continues in on his desired path, maintaining the puck and getting a shot on goal? So when we look at possession and control, possession's almost instantaneous, but control, I think the league is really looking at it even in the moments after he enters the zone of did he maintain control? And if he did, then we're looking at that entire timeline of when the puck hit his stick until the goal is scored. He maintains control. Therefore, it was a good onside call
0: and the goal stands. Yeah, it looked like the right call to me. It just it never got away from him. He always had uh, had control of the puck to move towards the net to make the play. So I think that was the right call. You had a terrific piece on the scoutingtherefs.com website to illustrate Sometimes how it's very difficult for officials to count to three. I'm joking, of course, <laughs> but the, the Avalanche and the Predators are playing in overtime, so they're playing three on three. Well, sort of, kind of. Seems there was some difficulty and confusion about whether or not there were too many men on the ice. Colorado actually had a too many men on the ice penalty earlier in the game. On a line change, as Miko Rantanen was skating the puck up the ice, the Avs are changing, and Dean Morton whistled the play for too many men. Um, first of all, explain how this rule is enforced. Is it looked at differently? during overtime or was there just confusion between white and yellow jerseys i'm not really sure how this one played oh, out.
1: i know i know fans were frustrated because you see all the nashville predators players that are on the ice at the time the whistle sounds and it, it looks like nashville clearly has too many men but what the end result was is is that they didn't they were changing legally so the way the rule works and it's the same in regulation as it is in overtime that you've got guys coming on you've got guys coming off you've got a five foot grace period in and out of the bench. So as guys are within five feet of the bench, the other player can come on. The only issues that you have are when one of those players who's coming on, going off, interferes with the play so if they're getting the puck if they're blocking a defender if they're taking part in the play while they're performing the line change that often results in a too many men penalty And, and some teams try to take advantage of that right they dump the puck right at the opposing bench during a line change and just hope it pinballs off a couple guys or somebody reflexively puts a stick down to play it and you can sometimes take advantage of that so you've got that five foot window there and the only time the five foot window really doesn't apply is when you're using it for a positional advantage so if you have a guy jump on at one end of the bench, and jump off at the other end of the bench, he's basically been replaced by a guy who traveled 20 feet down the ice. So that that is taking advantage of the rule, and that can actually result in a penalty as well. So it, it's the same rule, but there's, there's those nuances there. It's not always cut and dry. Uh, it's going to depend on the play and how close you are to the bench, and I think that's what came into play here, Todd.
0: Okay, that does clear it up a little bit in understanding, because you're right, there is a time where you can have more than the designated number of players or skaters out on the ice and it's not considered a penalty. All right.
1: And the tr- the tricky thing with this one, we had we had the linesman right up on the board, so he had a good look, maybe too close to the play. But it wasn't until Dave Jackson and, and thanks to David ESPN for working so hard to track down some of the other angles, he did provide a clip of a very slow line change by Nathan McKinnon where he still had one skate on the ice as Ranton is coming on and playing the puck and you really, you could see the four guys out there, and the fact that the guy who was going off is being replaced by somebody who's already playing the puck, that may have been what Morton saw. It may have taken him a second to get his arm up, but when you look at the play from that other angle, which it's a shame we didn't see sooner, it does provide a little more clarity to
0: what happened on the play. Yeah, it's great that they have these referee analysts on some networks, isn't it? I really find it helpful. <sighs> okay, I, want, <laughs> I told you I want to ask about uh, the C-word consistency, and here's what I mean. Earlier this year, Rod Brindamore, Carolina Hurricanes, got 525 dollars for demonstrative actions behind the bench when a call went against them. I didn't think it was a big deal, but the league did. Recently, Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant had a definitely a very animated disagreement with a referee over a lineup issue, slapped the paper away, no fine. Apparently, though, according to Elliott Friedman, Gallant was warned by the league. Last week, Dallas head coach Rick Bonus did a little fancy chopping with a hockey stick at the end of the game after a couple of penalty calls didn't go in the star's favor. It was quietly announced that Bonus also forfeited $25,000. So, yes, my question is consistency. Brindamore doesn't make a big fuss, it appears to me, gets a fine. Gallant does? Slapping the paper out of the referee's hand, I think, is a big deal. Bonus also Got the twenty-five grand fine. I don't understand this.
1: Well, I, I think bonus earned his. I I am not going to challenge oh, yeah. the league's decision there. He got he got full value for that twenty-five K. I know he was frustrated with the penalty calls and how things went, especially late in the game. So I, I get where he's coming from. And you know, I think he earned that. I thought Gallant did as well. I, I thought, you know, his his tirade with the officials and and how I don't want to say aggressive, but you know how outspoken he was, slapping the the paper out of the hand. I I thought for sure that that would be considered unsportsmanlike or disrespectful towards the officials and would have resulted in a fine. I don't know if the Rangers have a, a bit of a a cash there from the the large fine that was accrued earlier <laughs> that they, they don't they don't want to hit them after the hundreds of thousands of dollars coming the NHL's way for previous comments or what it was. But I I, I thought Gallant earned it as well, and I I don't have a problem with it. I mean I know the fines are much larger than we see as max fines to players. The players and their CBA gives them a little bit more protection against fines over five or ten thousand dollars, depending on the situation. So for these coaches, I, I feel like it, it does seem like a bit much, but the league has to protect the officials and they, they want to show that they're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. So I'm I was a little puzzled that Galan didn't, but bonus, yeah, absolutely earning that money and uh, <laughs> destroying the stick in the process.
0: Well, I guess when it comes to coaches, calls on the ice, or even Kodak Black, things are not always as they appear.
1: The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.